Start you off with a question. What do you think is the goal of parenting? If you could summarize that in one sentence, one phrase, what do you think is the goal of parenting? So we're going to do something a little different here. Okay? Rather than me sit here and ask and tell you, you're going to tell someone. So if you came with someone, turn to them. If you did it, turn to someone near you. Say, hi, I'm Greg. Well, don't say that unless your name's actually Greg. Hi, I'm fill in the blank. Okay? Meet a new person and tell them what you think the purpose of parenting is. Go ahead. Give it a shot. No wrong answers. Unless your answer is to harvest organs from young children. Okay, okay. There we go. Let's bring it back together. So have we solved all the parenting problems in the world? Amen. Thank you. Let's go to brunch. <laughs> well, like it should, it should not surprise any of us that there are so many different answers to that question. There are nearly as many answers to that question as there are people answering the question. Because how we see parenting varies so much. It varies based off our family of origin, the country we grew up in, the culture that we are a part of, even the state we grew up in. All kinds of things can affect how we view the purpose of parenting. So for example, your average white parent, your average white American parent, they have a goal that you might say that the goal of your average white American parenting is to create independent successful adults. If you were to go up to most white American parents, they would probably agree with that statement, that the end goal of parenting is to create successful, independent adults. Now, if you turn and, in contrast, if you go to your average Hmong parent, chances are they are not going to say that. Okay? Your, aver your average, traditional, kind of first-gen Hmong parents might say something like this, that, that they want to raise children who behave appropriately and support the family as they get older. Like, I think that would be pretty much every first-gen Hmong parent's dream, is to have, have children who behave appropriately and support the family as they get older. Two cultures, two very different priorities. So what's the right answer here? Is there even a right answer? Well, in prepping for this, this series here, um, I ran across a statement that was so profound, I actually created a whole sermon around it. It just blew me away because I had never heard something quite like this that I believe captures how the Bible talks about faith and parenting. And it came from a, a pastor whom I really respect, Craig Rochelle of Life Church. Um, I really like the guy. I like his stuff. And this statement just blew my mind. So here it is. A parent's priority 
is to gradually transfer a child's dependence away from the parents until their dependence rests solely on God. Think about that for a second. A parent's priority is to gradually transfer a child's dependence away from themselves, the parents, until the child's dependence rests solely on God. So let me explain this out to make sure we're all on the same page here because this is so critical. So our, our priority as a mom or a dad, or even as an auntie or uncle, is to gradually transfer dependence. Our kids, when they're little, they depend on us for pretty much everything. But as they grow, our job is to not hold on to that dependence, but to transfer that dependence. All of us are dependent on something. And the goal of parents is to transfer a child's dependence onto the one who will never fail them. Onto the one who will always be right and true to transfer dependence onto God. Now, notice how different that is from both the American view of parenting and the Hmong view of parenting. So, for instance, my parents growing up routinely challenged me to make independent decisions. So I was a freshman in college toward the end of my freshman year there, and I was barely passing advanced bio. The truth is, like, I hadn't read a chapter in a couple months. And I got to the point the night before the final where I was fairly sure I was going to fail. I had never failed a class in my life. And I was panicking. So I called my dad. I said, Dad, i, I got to be honest with you. I might fail bio. He paused. It was quiet on the other end of the line. And then he said the most amazing thing. He said, are you calling to tell me or ask my permission? Now that is a white parent for you right there. <laughs> All you with long parents, you wouldn't be able to finish the sentence before you start to get yelled at. But it was amazing because in that single question, he was challenging me to be independent. So I paused, and I said, I guess I'm telling you. He's like, okay, thank you for telling me. And that was the conversation. I ended up passing with a C minus. All right. <laughs> Set the bar pretty low there. <laughs> now, in contrast, about that same time is when Pengfo and I started dating. I'm sure there's no correlation whatsoever. Second semester, freshman year. And the first time she told her parents, needless to say, she did not get the same response as I did. But her parents told her, you can't do that. And their biggest concern was, you, you will bring shame on the family if you date him or marry him. But Fola's parents were not the least bit concerned about her love life. They were concerned about the family. And in their response, they were teaching her the Hmong value of dependence on family and interdependence 
on family. You have to think of the family first above yourself. So there you go. Within, within a couple months of each other, two parents, two crises of sorts, and two very different responses. But the reality is God calls Christ-following parents to be different, to challenge what they grew up with, to challenge their culture, to actually be counter-cultural. Because remember, a parent's priority is to gradually transfer a child's dependence away from them until it rests solely on God. So where does this idea come from? It sounds awesome, sounds nice and Christian-y, but where does it come from? Well, it comes right out of the Bible. In fact, it comes out of arguably one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible that you may have never read. It's Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, is one of the best teachings on parenting in all of Scripture. Let me give you a little background. Let me give you a little background. So the Israelites, they, they were released from Egypt, released from slavery. They wandered the desert for 40 years, and they set up camp on the bank of the Jordan River. Just across the river was the promised land. It was the land that God promised to Abraham years and years prior that that was going to be the, their home, and it was the best land that any of them had ever seen. Remember, they just spent 40 years in a desert. And here is this amazing, awesome land just across the river. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and then Moses gives a speech. Just before this, just before this, Moses gave the Ten Commandments, the ten big ones that were going to guide Israel, Israelite life. And then after this, uh, that Moses gave the rest of the law. These were the guidelines for what it meant to live in community with God and with one another. And in between, he talked about parenting, of all things. And this is how it starts. We'll start with verse 1 and 2. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me, Moses, to teach you to observe in the land that, that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands, all his decrees and commands that I give you, and that you may enjoy long life. So did you catch the beginning of his parenting advice? He's not just talking about here are some rules to follow. Here are some guidelines for the community of God. No, no, no. He said, these are for you, your children, and your children's children. He is talking about impacting three generations by what they do today, what they do in that moment. And see, if you're a parent, if you're a parent, you have the power to impact generations of people. Now, I know that's hard to think about when you're stuck in the middle of, of diapers and toys and tantrums and attitude and all of that when you're raising kids. It's hard to think about generations. 
but this is critical to remember. You are not parenting individuals. You are parenting generations. You are parenting generations, not just individual children. So you want proof of this? Sit down with Pimfo and I and do something that, that we do with a lot of couples called a genogram. We do this in virtually all of our marriage counseling that we do and a lot of our individual counseling as well. So, so here's a picture of what a genogram looks like. So this is essentially a relationship family tree. Rather than connecting genealogy, it connects family patterns and family relationships. And, and we go back three generations. Siblings, parents, grandparents. And every time we do this, every time, we sit across from a person, and as we walk through three generations of their family, every time, they are amazed. Because they see patterns of things they do right now. They see the patterns that went back generations. That's why we do this. That's why this is such an incredible, incredibly valuable tool. We do it with premarital counseling and postmarital counseling and individual counseling. Because we repeat patterns that are in our families. You see, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. So parents, you are parenting into the bones of your children and their children with every parenting decision you make. You are getting into their bones. And sometimes, some of you, you're guaranteeing a lifetime of employment for people like my wife as professional therapists. Because you're getting into their bones all the wrong things. And I want to, through series like this, I want to help you change that. So how do we do this well? How do we understand what parenting looks like? Transferring dependence and understanding that you're not just parenting individuals. You are parenting generations. How do we do this well? Well, Moses continues. He continues in his speech. Okay? And he gives you, he gives two of probably the most important parenting principles you will ever find. If you follow nothing else, if you learn nothing else, remember these. So the first thing he talks about, the first thing he addresses is this. Love your God. The first thing you have got to do, that if you are a Christ follower, you have to first love your God. Here's how he puts it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, if you've been around church at all, you've probably heard this verse, but not from Moses, from Jesus. 
This is the one that he, that Jesus called the greatest, the first and the greatest commandment. This is what he quoted. That's why this section of Deuteronomy is arguably one of the most important chapters of the whole Bible. Because when Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing? You know what he said? This. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. See, you have to start there. Love your God. Nothing you do as a parent is as important as loving God first. And you can't just get away with loving God a little bit. You can't just get away with, I love, yeah, like, like I love God. Jesus and I, we're tight. I, I believe in him and everything, but, but I'll go to church when I can, and I'll still kind of do things my own way because I don't really like God's way. No, it, it doesn't work like that. That's not the option Moses or Jesus gave. You love God with all. That's how it works. That's how to love your God, is to love your God with all. I can't tell you the number of people that I've run into, and I, and I ask them, hey, um, tell me about what kind of, do you have any religious affiliation? Do you go to church, anything like that? Um, and they, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Don't go to church. But yeah, 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 I love God. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. But there's not really a whole lot in their life that proves that. But when you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, then you are really loving your God. You're loving God on his terms, not your own terms. And we love to love God on our own terms. You have to start there. But see, for, your parent, for you parents, I get it. We live in a world there that is full of things that is calling for our love, full of things that are there, are there to distract us away from loving God. And, and if you're a parent, you want to give opportunities to your children, maybe opportunities that you never had growing up. And you want to do that. So then all of a sudden there's, there's, there's soccer and there's dance and there's after-school activities and there's it's school sports, and all of a sudden, your schedules get really full. All of a sudden, you're scheduling around your kids. And before long, before you know it, you become child-centered parents instead of God-centered parents. Your lives revolve around your children. That is so easy. So you have to be aware and you have to watch out for that and make sure that you stay as God-centered parents so that your life doesn't revolve around your children. That is the first and most important thing you can do. Because see, the truth is you will never be able to transfer dependence to God. You will never be able to do that unless you are willing to be countercultural. And you love and trust God enough to give him your children. Otherwise, you're going to hold back. You're going to hold on to him if you don't really trust God enough. If you don't really love God enough, if you don't think he's good, if you don't think he, has, he knows the best and has the best intentions for your children. 
you're going to hold back because you're not going to give them to him. So first, the first principle is to love your God. The second principle is to lead your family. Lead your family. Okay, now I'm not talking about the whole debate around like husbands, spiritual leaders. I don't want to get into any of that. Ignore that for today. Okay, dads, moms, you are both leaders in your family. Don't for a second doubt that. Because a leader is simply one with influence. John Maxwell says leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And moms and dads, you both have significant influence over your families, over your children. Aunties and uncles, if, if you have nieces and nephews that live around and you see them and you do things, you have influence over your nieces and nephews. Lead your family. So here's how, here's how Moses talks about it. These commandments that I give to you today are to, are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Now, I love these two verses. First of all, because Moses starts with these commands I'm about to give to you, they've got to be on your hearts first. They've got to be on your hearts. Then you can impress them on your children. How many times do we try to impress something on our children that we don't really practice or maybe even believe? It's the classic, do as I say, not as I do. In God's economy, that's not how parenting works. Moses said it. These commands have to be on your heart. You've got to be following these commands. Then you can impress them on your children. You've got to love your God first. Then you can lead your family. So what does it mean to impress them on your children? Now, this is not impress your children. Okay? You have no need to impress your children. Just pull a quarter out from behind their ears and ooh. No, okay. So, but what does it mean to impress them on your children? Well, the passage continues. Talk about them when you sit at home. And these are the commands and, and God's laws and God's guidelines and all that. Talk about when, when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So, when should you be talking about God to your parents? I mean, to your kids. Pretty much all the time. Where should you be talking about God to your kids? Anywhere. It's amazing. These 10 verses, sorry, these two verses give you 10 places that you should be talking about God to your kids. Here you go. When you're sitting, when you're walking, when you lie down, when you get up, we're to tie them onto our hands. So metaphorically, it's anything that you do with your hands. You're to tie them on your, bind them to your foreheads. So metaphorically, that's anything that you think. You're to put them on your front door. So that's every time you walk in and out. And put them on your gates. So anywhere in your property. That pretty much sums it up. Everywhere. <laughs> if you could find a loophole in that list, go for it. But you get, that's everywhere. 
And that pretty much covers any time, anywhere. See, spiritual talk, true, authentic, child-gearing uh, uh, spiritual talk is not something you just do on weekends. It's not something you do in the car on the way back from church or driving, driving your kids to plugged. No. It's something that happens naturally throughout the day and throughout the week. It should, be, it should be a part of your everyday, seven days a week life. It's not something that you sort of add on. And that's how you lead your children spiritually. So spiritual talk is not lecturing, guilting, or shaming. Just telling your kids what to do, or even worse, just telling your kids what not to do. That is not spiritual talk. That's setting rules. That's being authoritarian, being dictatorial. That's not, that's not God-geared God spiritual talk. Instead, this spiritual talk is natural and comfortable. It's talk that fosters curiosity. It's talk that leads to questions and not just answers. And it's talk that opens people up instead of shuts people down. That's this natural spiritual talk. So let me ask you, parents, what's the state of spiritual talk in your families? Now, if you just have a newborn, eh, talk all you want. <laughs> They'll just goo-goo-ga-ga back at you. But it's adorable. But what is spiritual talk a natural part of your family life. Essentially, is it the pizza or just the topping? Is it the main course or a side dish? Now I get it, this isn't always easy, especially if you didn't grow up in a family where spiritual talk was a part of family life. So like a lot of you have heard kind of my story, like I didn't grow up Christian, my family's not Christian, I accepted Christ completely separate from them. At 16, I started going to church by myself. And, and they were okay with that, but there was kind of an implicit suggestion around the house, just keep it to yourself. So I did. And so for me, like to be honest, and this is, might be weird to hear from a pastor, spiritual talk is actually really hard for me. And it's one of the things I was really concerned about when we were trying to have kids. Because it wasn't natural for me. It was the pepperoni on the pizza. It wasn't the pizza. It was hard. It was uncomfortable. It wasn't natural for me. Now, in contrast, Peng Fu grew up Christian. Like, she came out of the womb reciting the Apostles' Creed. Okay? <laughs> That's how Christian her family was. But her entire life was filled with hymns and spiritual talk. So for her, it's very natural. It's very easy. But it's really hard for me. So I get it if it's not easy or natural for you. That's okay. You still should do it. And you just work through the discomfort. And guess what? You get a little more comfortable after a while. Love your God. Lead your family.
That is the best parenting advice that I could ever give you because it's not mine. You know, I don't have kids, but it's God's. Love God first. Lead your family second. And that's how you can gradually shift dependence from you onto God. So what does this actually look like? What does this really look like in a family? Well, as I mentioned, I am a terrible person to answer that question. Unless you want me to start talking about parenting my dogs. They, yes, they're adorable, but they're a little crazy. Uh, thank goodness they're small. So I, I'm not the best person to give you pictures of what this might look like in a family. So this week, I reached out to a handful of River Life families with kids. Different age ranges, and I asked them, what are some of the things you're doing as a family? And so I thought I'd share some of these because some of them were really inspiring. What does it look like? These are real parents with real kids. What does it look like to lead your family, to love your God, to transfer dependence? So here are some of the things they said. So one family has a weekly family night with no devices, phones, tablets, TVs, nothing like that. Okay? Because they want to emphasize being present with each other and having real conversation. So it's their way of teaching and modeling love one another. And the first part of that loving one another has to begin with being present. So they ditch all the devices, play games, go to places, do things. Um, as, as the dad put it, he said, he says, what's real to us now in this moment is one another. So similarly, another family does this. They, they emphasize to their kids that people and relationships are more important. In fact, they are the most important. So they would, they would say things like, your sister is more important than your toys. Or your brother is more important than getting your own way. Because they want to emphasize that relationships matter more than things. You can't love one another. And you can't really learn to love God as the kids get older unless you understand that people and God are more important than things in your own way. So another family is working hard on instilling love for the church and love for service. So, so they make it a priority they don't schedule family things on Sunday mornings. In fact, they even tell their family, no, I can't be at the funeral Sunday morning. I can't help prep for the party. I'm really sorry. I'll stay and clean up. I'll do all that, but I can't be there. Because they want to make church a priority and see for their children that spending time with God in church, that's important. So they love also to bring their kids to church events. In fact, this particular family especially brought out that they love the surf Sundays where we do a service project at church because it's one of the few times that their children can see their parents serving and can actually do it themselves. So they're very intentional around any of the serving opportunities we have at church because they want to instill a love for church and a love for serving others into their kids. And lastly, another family uses, uses this sort of language, that God is a member of their family. 
God isn't someone we go and visit at church. God isn't someone we talk to. God's actually a member of our family. And so they read Bible stories together. They pray together. They'll sing songs together. And all the time talking about God like he's right there, which he is. And that's, that's hard and even a little weird for some kids as they start getting older to think about God as right there, let alone God in their heart. Have you ever had a like, kid just freak out at the idea that God's in their heart? Yeah, that's a weird one for a young kid to figure out. <laughs> um, but so that's, that's their emphasis. So, they don't, they, they, so they, they don't schedule things during the, those times. They block them out and they set aside and say, God's a part of this family. So what does it look like for you? That if you have kids or maybe nieces and nephews you see a lot, what does it look like for you? I don't know. I'm not in your family. But if you're cooking a good dinner tonight, I can be. But I'm not. But God knows your family. God knows your kids. And we can seek him for what does this look like in my family? What does this look like for me as a parent? How do I need to grow? How do I need to, to challenge myself? So my encouragement is you, to you is don't look to me. Again, my dogs are adorable but kind of nuts. Sort of like some of your kids. There we go. That took a little bit to get, yeah, adorable but kind of nuts. Um, but you have a God in heaven who hears your prayers, who desires the best for your family, who knows your children better than you do, and loves your children more than you do. And he is ready and eager to guide you along the path of what it looks like to transfer dependence from you onto him. Now that's not quick. That's a long process. Parenting, you're in it for the marathon. Heck, parenting, you're in it for the ultrathon. So think long term and not just one child's life, but remember, you are parenting generations not just children.